Feminist Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is called out as a neo-colonialist. Canadian Conservative Party leader fails to represent his own Conservative base. The FDA approves do-it-yourself abortions. The United Nations and other abortion activists are pushing the Dominican Republic to decriminalize abortion. Irish abortion doctors are being trained in a new controversial practice and Planned Parenthood renounces their founder, Margaret Sanger. But do they really? We'll talk about that and more coming right up. Hi folks, my name is Peter. I am the host of the show and with me again is my good friend and co-host, Cameron Cote. Thanks, Peter, and welcome to The Pulse, a monthly episode where we feature all of the important and interesting abortion-related news from around the world and talk about it through the lens of the pro-life worldview. Because we as pro-lifers need to start telling our own story, and you need to know this news spoken about from a pro-life worldview. So let's dive into it. Yeah, that's right. And we are going to kick things off in our own nation here, Canada. Now, if you would ask our current liberal government what good foreign policy looks like and, and good development policy, I'm sure they'll talk to you and say something along the lines of we need to listen to the people that we're trying to help and engage with them in order to learn from them what their issues might be and try to get an understanding of what they think might be the solution to some of the problems they face. They might even mention that to not do something like this would be a form of colonialism. We all hate colonialism. We would never do that. We're not conservatives, for goodness sake. We are liberals. We uphold human rights. Now, that's what they would say. However, a former Canadian diplomat by the name of David Mulrooney, who happens to boast of incredible credentials, which includes serving as the ambassador to the People's Republic of China from 2009 to 2012, would disagree. He notes that while many Canadians are under the impression that Canada's foreign work and development work includes sending over Canadian aid workers uh, along with sufficient funds to do the work that they need to do, uh, according to you know the, 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 the things that the people want done, this is not really the case. Rather, our foreign work looks a lot like making abortions as accessible as possible. This is what David Mulrooney states, and I quote, we are going into countries that have shown significant opposition in their polling and in their laws to abortion. And when we announced our programs for Africa, which will come to about $750 million a year, we have identified one of our objectives as addressing social norms, by which we mean changing them, changing laws and regulations, despite the fact that these are African social norms and African laws and regulations. He goes on to say, really, a lot of this is just cutting checks to Planned Parenthood, Mary Stopes International, Pathfinders. These are groups that have their roots in the early 20th century in things like eugenics and racism and are promoting abortion today. It's a very bizarre Team Canada to be bringing to Africa. Yeah, Peter, this is the ultimate strong arm that we are doing as a nation here in Canada and other nations as well around the world that are trying to force these African nations, these very, very pro-life nations into accepting, embracing and providing abortion access to mothers and fathers who don't want it in the first place. This is something that we covered in episode 19 in which we spoke to Sam Say about abortion in the black community. This is something that I have worked with numerous different leaders in African countries, in Kenya, in Rwanda, in other countries, helping them equip their people 
so that they can oppose this barrage of abortion access that is being rammed down their throats. We are saying, sure, we'll write you a $750 million check every year, so long as you spend that on abortion. You won't get our support with infrastructure. You won't get our support with education. You won't get our support for even clean water unless you wrap abortion access into that package. That is the ultimate strong arm. And this is absolutely offensive to so many people in these African communities that have withstood the pressure of abortion and abortion advocates for so long already. They didn't want it in the first place. Many of them are fighting diligently to prevent it from coming. Um, and so if you want to learn more about that, check out, like I said, episode 19 of our podcast in which we talk about abortion in the black community, abortion being rammed overseas, and how it is being packaged in a way that is almost impossible for these African countries to refuse because it is packaged with all of this other support and infrastructure um, alongside it. That's right. And so it's clear that uh, our liberal government and the liberal leader is not too hot. But the unfortunate thing as we move on is that the conservative leader, the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, he's not, a, he's not such a great guy himself for the pro-life movement. Now, on episode 39, which we just recently did several weeks ago of the Pro-Life Guys podca podcast, we talked to Canadian Member of Parliament Kathy Wagenthal to discuss a bill that she was proposing in the House of Commons to ban sex selective abortions. Wagenthal informed us that uh, a poll published in the National Post indicated that 84% of Canadians, 84% of Canadians, that's a lot of Canadians, uh, oppose sex selective abortion, which basically is ending the life of a young girl for the reason that she happens to be a young girl. The unfortunate thing, as I mentioned, is that Aaron O'Toole, the leader of the Conservative Party, is not part of that 84%. For those of you who have, have never heard of O'Toole before, he's a, a phenomenal new leader of ours. He lacks a, a great amount of charisma by you know any standard. And he, he often makes news in conservative circles when he rebukes the conservative base rather than presenting a, you know, a bold and a muscular alternative to the neo-colonialist uh, that is Justin Trudeau. And so when O'Toole makes a, a pronouncement, it is to remind everyone that he is not, in fact, a social conservative in case anyone ever suspected that he might be. And so in responding to Kathy Wagenthal's bill, this is what he said. He said, as you know, I am pro-choice and I will be voting against this private member's bill. I will always, as prime minister, defend the rights, the human rights, of all Canadians to make this decision for themselves. I have been crystal clear on that and will be as prime minister. So many mind-boggling things to come out of this, Peter. Not only the fact that the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada is stating that killing pre-born baby girls is a human right, but also that there are 16% of Canadians that think it's okay to kill a pre-born baby girl just because she's a baby girl. And one last thing on that is that the leader of the conservative movement, the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada somehow falls within that 16% of people who think it's totally okay to kill a baby girl because she's a baby girl. Thankfully, there are a significant number of politicians who are part of the 84% and not part of this, frankly, terrifying 16% of Canadians. And many of those politicians do have hopes and plans to vote in favor of this bill, which would make sex-selective abortions illegal. 
Sex selective abortions happen in Canada. This has been documented by the Canadian Medical Journal um, several years ago. It's been carried by several different news agencies. And the fact that this is happening not only among ethnic communities, but surely among all sorts of communities as well as they are trying to tailor make their own families. This is something that is simply going to protect baby girls from being killed because of their biological gender. This is something that we absolutely need you to get involved with. As Peter mentioned, um, episode 39, we talked with uh, Member of Parliament Kathy Wagenthal about how you can get involved. You can check out her, we her website, kathywagenthal.ca, for um, lessons on how you can engage your Member of Parliament. You can go to arpacanada.ca. We desperately want to encourage you to do that because this bill is still being debated in Parliament right now. And regardless of whether your member of parliament claims to be pro-life or pro-choice, there are incredible tools that are um, available to you so that you can make a compelling and compassionate case for why we shouldn't be allowed to kill baby girls because they're baby girls. We're setting the bar really low here. I know for those of you who are tuning in from other countries, um, it, it's embarrassing at times to look at what's going on in our nation. And so um, I be thankful that that many other nations around the world don't deal with this problem. And please keep um, Canada in your hearts and in your prayers, because we absolutely need to take this very, very minor baby step in the very least to protect baby girls from being killed because they're baby girls. That's right. So go check it out. Episode 39 of the Pro-Life Guys podcast. You can find all of our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to your favorite content. Moving south of the border, the Food and Drug Administration of the United States of America has just reversed a ban on mail-order abortion drugs, eliminating completely the requirements for in-person consultations or medical supervision when taking these drugs. Abortion on Demand, which is a tele-abortion service, has acted swiftly. They've launched on April 13, and they have uh, are able to provide abortion pills into women in 20 different states and in the American capital, women can now order an abortion pill online at the inexpensive rate of $239, $239 to kill your child, to end the life of your pre-born human child. The drugs come with a video call and can be used up to 56 days gestation. And Dr. Jamie Pfeiffer, the founder of Abortion on Demand, insists to each and every one that this is, and I quote, safer than Tylenol, end quote. This is something, Peter, that I think absolutely has to raise the hairs on the back of our neck for so many different reasons. Obviously, the discussion that goes on in court around this was under the pretense of during the COVID-19 pandemic, this idea that, that mothers aren't able to get into their abortion facilities. Therefore, we need to provide this, this service just as an extraordinary or emergency effort. I can basically guarantee you that, that this is here to say, unless pro-lifers rise up and, and oppose this and Think about all of the danger that, that goes along with this. When we consider the fact that according to the Associated Press, around 40% of abortions in America are done through the abortion pill process, that number is likely only going to increase. And obviously, we don't want any abortions happening whatsoever. However, we have to bear in mind the fact that now we are adding so much more baggage to this entire experience, the fact that while um, these drugs are encouraged to be taken before 56 days, the likelihood of them being taken long after that um, is, is likely going to happen. The fact that this could be shared with anyone, the fact that 
um, a boyfriend or husband could order these for their significant other and slip them into their morning pill package, their vitamin C, their this, their that, and a pill to kill their child. This is absolutely horrifying, the fact that this can happen in America now. There's absolutely um, a bare minimum of regulation that goes around this live action, a pro-life organization based out of the states led by Lila Rose, um, someone that Peter, you and I had the opportunity to speak with a few weeks ago has done incredible work investigating not only the how the abortion pill works, how this goes about killing a preborn child, but um, the impact that it has on mothers um, and on all those involved. This They produced an 85-page report that's accessible on their website, liveaction.com. Um, and I'm sure many of our viewers, I'm sure many of you have seen the movie Unplanned, featuring Abby Johnson's story from abortion um, recipient to abortion provider, to anti-abortion advocate. And, and the chilling scene of her receiving the abortion pill, taking it at home, and the awful um, experience that she had, not only coming face-to-face -face with her, her preborn child, something that's going to happen for each and every one of these mothers as they deliver their child into their bathtubs or into their toilets, but also the, the horrendous um, aftermath for her and her body. Abortion is wrong first and foremost because it kills the child, but this is simply going to open up more and more risk for mothers as well. And so we don't want any abortions happening and we as pro-lifers absolutely need to push back against this. Thankfully, there is progress. Um, as many of you may know, the abortion pill is actually two sets of medication, one that you take one day, another that you take within three days afterwards. If you take the first pill and regret your abortion, this is something that every pro-lifer needs to know. This is something that every person needs to know. If you take the first pill and come to re regret that decision, you are not necessarily too far along. You may be able to seek emergency medical intervention um, called the abortion pill reversal process. There are many pro-life providers um, that can provide this. There's information that you can find at um, in, in Canada here. You can find it at physiciansforlife.ca. Um, and find out more about the abortion pill reversal. Ultimately, it is a massive injection of progesterone, which is what the initial abortion pill is cutting to make it um, basically starving your preborn child. You can reverse this um, procedure at times. And so please, please know that, have that in your back pocket as pro-lifers. If somebody you know um, does this mail order abortion pill, um, takes the first set of pills and comes to regret their decision. There absolutely is something that can be done. Um, and so this should only increase our mobilization, only increase how irate we ought to be as pro-lifers, the fact that this is simply getting easier and easier to kill your child so that more and more of these children will be killed. Um, this is dangerous. This is dangerous to children. This is dangerous to mothers. This is dangerous because, again, I can't mention enough how terrible um, it is going to be. We are going to see husbands and boyfriends and significant others slipping their girlfriends, spouses, and wives these pills. We absolutely need to push back against this. If you enjoy this content and want to support and partner the Pro-Life Guys podcast to make sure more of this comes out, you can become a patron of the podcast at patreon.com slash guys. Go there, check it out. Check out the different tiers. There are perks for signing up for different tiers and, uh, and some merch options that you can get as well. Patreon.com slash guys. On previous episodes of The Pulse, we've talked about the abortion war that's happening in, in Central and South America, the, the pressure that a lot of these nations are facing. Well, now we hear a, hear a report 
that the United Nations, the international uh, uh, abortion industry and abortion activists are pushing the president of the Dominican Republic to decriminalize, decriminalize abortion. President Louis Abinadar had previously promised to legalize feticide, but he faced intense pressure from pro-life groups and churches that resulted in him, in him backing down uh, and saying that while he supports it, he would not impose his personal opinion on other lawmakers. We've spoken about this, Peter, on a few occasions prior to this in, in our various Pulse episodes about this, this massive culture war going on um, within Central and South America, this green tide of abortion support and the blue wave of pro-life opposition and resistance. Um, the pressure is massive, obviously. And, and as we've talked about, the pressure is not only going towards the politicians, it's going towards the courts and towards the people. Abortion advocates are attacking societies at every level so that they can bring the carnage of preborn children uh, to as many countries as they possibly can. We absolutely need to pray and support those who are advocating for life in these countries. Pray, pray for the politicians, pray for the, the judges, pray for the people. Because this is something that is going to be continually rammed down their throats, continually brought up, whether it's at referendums, whether it's court orders, whether it's pressuring presidents, prime ministers, other politicians. This is something that the abortion advocates are not going to rest over until they have brought abortion access to every nation they can. And we have to ask the question, is the collateral damage of children appropriate for the very real challenges that many mothers face, and more often than not, for the pleasure that they seek. We absolutely need to resolve so many challenges and problems in our world, but can we do that by killing innocent human beings? Absolutely not. We need to support our brothers and sisters in the pro-life movement in the blue wave that is sweeping across South America and Central America and encourage them because this fight is not easy. Yes, they are getting hundreds of thousands of people, at times even millions of people, out to their marches and rallies. They are giving as much pushback against this opposition as they possibly can. But as we've seen in countries around the world, as we've seen in Argentina, as we've seen in Ireland, as we um, tragically, I'm sure we'll see in other countries, we need to do everything that we can to hold back this green poisonous wave of abortion access um, to protect our preborn children and to protect mothers and fathers. Yeah, that, that's a great point. And, and I like, Cam, how you consistently mentioned that what's at the heart of this conversation, what really makes abortion wrong is that it ends the life of a preborn child, a little boy or a little girl created in the image of Almighty God. But one of the things that's that's necessarily a part of the fight as well is protecting women and and, and girls and, and men as well uh, for, from taking part in abortion and feeling the after effects of it. We have a, a, a sad story to report um, that Spanish media reported last month, and that was that a radical pro-abortion supporter by the name of Maria de Val Gonzalez Lopez died during what she had labeled her dream abortion operation. The leader, she was the leader of the radical youth in the La Paz municipality in the province of Mendoza, Argentina, and she was 23 years old. Now, with countless other activists in the green wave of Argentina, she fought tirelessly, um, you know, to make Argentina have abortion access because to her, restricting abortion was a woman's rights, rights issue, was a human rights issue, and women should be allowed to do, as we hear time and time again, 
with their bodies precisely what they want to do with their bodies. But this abortion, this dream abortion of hers was the cause of her death. And not just the cause of her death, but also the cause of her little child. Both of them, she and her child, had their lives ahead of them. And one abortion procedure meant to kill one of them ended both of their lives. And, and I think it's interesting to note, Cam, that while we, we see a lot of pro-life news outlets reporting this, there seems to be a deathly silence of feminists surrounding her death. We're the activists that promised that abortion access would lead to free and more full lives. As of now, they're completely silent. As one pro-life activist stated, and I quote, if Maria had died from a clandestine, illegal at the time, abortion, feminists would be tearing the whole city apart. But since Maria died from a legal abortion and that doesn't suit their cause, it's scrubbed, end quote. Mm -hmm. This this truly is an example of tragic irony. The fact that uh, Maria worked so hard to bring abortion to the country and, and she ended up dying at the hands of an abortionist. And this is something that should cause reflection for each and every one of us, regardless of where we are at on the side of the abortion debate and discussion. We need to mourn the loss of Maria. We absolutely need to mourn the loss of her child. And in thinking about this, this gives pro-lifers an opportunity to consider the very real lives that are at stake in the abortion conversation. So often, obviously, abortion advocates will um, challenge this to be a very abstract, a very high-level conversation, not really involving the real statistics of real human beings. And this should give us pause and help us to return to the fact that every abortion, regardless of whether there are hundreds or dozens or hundreds of thousands or millions of them, every abortion kills an innocent human being. And yes, this is an added tragedy that another person died as well. The solution to this is not simply honing in the procedure. I'm sure abortion advocates are, are exploring what was wrong with the procedure, having a more um, alert doctor, having better medication, having better this, having better that. No, the solution to this is not having abortion. The solution to this is a million other solutions that does not involve killing Maria's preborn child. Because even if we could have saved Maria, we still would have had the absolute human rights violation of abortion. And so mourn the loss of Maria, mourn the loss of her child, and let's explore opportunities with those who advocate in favor of abortion for better, more humane um, solutions that don't involve killing anyone, either intentionally or unintentionally. And with that, we move to Ireland. We've talked about Ireland in the past, and now Irish abortion doctors are undergoing training in the controversial late-term abortion procedure known as dilation and evacuation. Dilation and evacuation is a gruesome late-term abortion method on, used on preborn babies up until six months gestation. The woman's cervix is dilated and the baby is removed piece by bloody piece using a combination of suction, curettes, and forceps. Now, for those of you who have followed the abortion war in Ireland, especially over the last several years, this might come as a surprise. Why is that? Well, during the campaign to save or remove, remove rather the Eighth Amendment of Ireland, which was an amendment that recognized the equal right to life of both the pregnant mother and her preborn child, the pro-life movement warned the Irish people that if abortion were to be legalized, late-term feticide would inevitably occur. If you remember the conversations that happened at that time, 
The abortion supporters said lies, 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 lies. The activists said that's not going to happen. The politicians who were in favor of removing the Eighth Amendment said that's completely lies. It's not going to happen. We're Ireland. We, we want to make abortion safe and legal for the, you know, the difficult circumstances that happen. Unfortunately, they themselves were lying. And right now we see that Ireland herself is a sad proof that once an abortion regime takes root, the evil multiplies itself. And so here we are, three years after the referendum that legalized abortion in Ireland, removed the Eighth Amendment, and we have feticide, the grim practice of giving the baby a lethal injection of potassium chloride in the heart, already being carried out, and dilation and evacuation abortions coming soon as Irish abortion doctors are being trained in this very gruesome and just an unbelievable abortion procedure. Mm -hmm. Another tragic development, and, and it springs back to lines that we have heard from the abortion movement time and time again. President Bill Clinton back in the 90s talking about safe, legal, and rare. Um, abortion advocates are willing to say anything they need to to get abortion access into a country. This truly is a tragic development in Ireland, but not something that, that we didn't foresee. As you mentioned, Peter, pro-lifers have known this right from the beginning, that as abortion advocates try to push abortion access into the country, they are not going to stop with simply one procedure. They are going to crack open abortion access as fully and as universally as they possibly can. We've talked about this already. And you can learn more about this, not only by checking out the episodes that Peter and I have done on the Pro-Life Guys podcast, episodes 30 and 31, in which we featured a leader in the Irish pro-life movement, along with our colleague, Jonathan Van Maren, who told the story of the Irish pro-life movement in his book, uh, Patriots, The Untold Story of Ireland's Pro-Life Movement, Jonathan Van Maren's book. It's a, a very, very clear, very, very good telling of this journey to the referendum on the Eighth Amendment, protecting preborn children and how abortion access has been opened up. As much as the slippery slope argument is a, um, a philosophical fallacy, it certainly never plays out as a practical fallacy. We see this in Ireland. We've seen it in other countries before as well, that once they get their foot in the door, they are only going to keep pushing and pushing and pushing until all children, regardless of their age, um, are vulnerable to abortion, um, ultimately up until the point of birth here in Canada. And I'm sure that that pressure is going to come to more and more countries around the world. Um, this is something that... Irish people need to be woken up to. They need to be reminded of the fact that this was something that many of them were willing to vote in opposition to the Eighth Amendment simply because they were concerned about the lives of those uh, mothers and uh, mothers whose lives were at risk. They thought that by canceling the Eighth Amendment, it would open up maybe a couple dozen um, abortions per year. And obviously, there have been hundreds, if not thousands, performed since that um, Eighth Amendment fell. And now this is only going to open up further and further access. And so there's been lots of things that pro-lifers need to do already. We need to keep the Irish pro-life movement in our prayer as well, and also look for opportunities to support them so that they can protect preborn lives in their country. And finally, we head back to the United States. If, if you've been around the pro-life movement for any length of time, especially in the United States, you've probably heard the name Margaret Sanger. She was the founder of Planned Parenthood, and she was a racist and a eugenicist. Now, again, if you're a pro-lifer, this is not news. This is not surprising at all. It's been something we've been saying for decades. Let me give you an example. In her book, The Pivot of Civilization, Sanger advocated for the elimination of human weeds 
and called for the cessation of charity, the segregation of morons, misfits, and maladjusted, in addition to the sterilization of genetically inferior races. That's appalling. And she also said appalling things like, and I quote, we don't want the word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population, end quote. Well, now, Alexis McGill Johnson, the president and CEO of Planned Parenthood Federation of America, has written an op-ed in the New York Times, and it's titled, I'm the head of Planned Parenthood. We are done making excuses for our founder. 55 years after Sanger's death and in innumerable number of dead babies of color later, the abortion giant has finally decided that it is time to cut ties with its founder, Margaret Sanger. There's a lot she writes in that. I, I encourage you to check it out. One of the things that uh, Alexis Miguel Johnson writes is this, and I quote, Sanger remains an influential part of our history and will not be erased. But as we tell the history of Planned Parenthood's founding, we must take full responsibility for the harm that Sanger caused to generations of people with disabilities and Black, Latino, Asian American, and Indigenous people, end quote. The unfortunate thing here is that while Planned Parenthood is renouncing Margaret Sanger, they are not renouncing the values of Margaret Sanger. Listen to the facts as outlined by Alexandra DeSactis in National Review. And she writes, I quote, nearly 80% of Planned Parenthood's clinics are located within walking distance of neighborhoods occupied by predominantly Black and Hispanic residents. Despite constituting only 13% of the female population, Black women represent more than one-third of all abortions in the United States each year. Black women are five times more likely than white women to obtain an abortion, and abortions are highly concentrated among low-income women. In recent years in New York City, more Black babies were aborted than were born alive, end quote. Mm-hmm. I, I find it fascinating, Peter, on so many levels that um, this statement about how Margaret Sanger, for them, is going to remain an influential part of history and will not be erased in, in cancel culture at its highest right now with countless statues and other influential figures being pulled down, many of them rightly so, I would argue. Margaret Sanger is somebody who is very explicitly supportive of eugenics, very explicitly, as you mentioned in the few quotes from her, very okay, and more than okay, very driven to eliminate the black community, that they are still going to keep her around in some way. And as you mentioned, that though they oppose her foundational statements, they still embrace her actions. They are still killing a disproportionate number of black children. They are still focusing their efforts on immigrant neighborhoods, low-income neighborhoods that so often align with those of a different skin color. This is something that is absolutely appalling and that um, is simply unacceptable from Planned Parenthood, simply saying that, that we distance ourselves from this founder. However, we're going to keep doing basically exactly what she set in motion um, so many years before. This is something, again, that we talked with Samuel Say um, about in episode 19 and how this isn't necessarily the strongest argument. I see a lot of pro-lifers talking about how abortion, uh, um, Planned Parenthood is inherently evil because Margaret Sanger was racist. Margaret Sanger was racist and that needs to be rejected. But Planned Parenthood is wrong, not just because Margaret Sanger was racist, but rather because they are killing hundreds of thousands of children in America and bringing this worldwide every year. 
It's not good enough to simply oppose the race-based discrimination. We have to oppose the age-based discrimination as well, all forms of discrimination, not just those that are convenient in our current political climate. We need to oppose all forms of discrimination that absolutely needs to include age-based discrimination, which abortion is. Every difference that exists between born humans and pre-born humans is a function of their age, whether it's their size, whether it's their level of development, whether it's their environment that they're living in, or whether it's the, their degree of dependency. All we need to do is ask why those differences exist, and we get a very, very clear response that it's because of their age. Abortion is age-based discrimination. That needs to be the heart of our focus. And we need to challenge Planned Parenthood and other organizations like it to not only reject their racist past, but also reject their ageist current um, plans and future plans as well. That's right, Cam. I, I don't know about you as, as the listener, but sometimes when we listen to the news, especially when it comes to social conservative issues and especially when it comes to the topic of abortion, it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to think, man, there, is so, there are so many bad things happening and I hear of so few good things happening. And that's one of the reasons that we started the podcast. We have a segment of the podcast called Humans of the Pro-Life Movement. And on this segment, we have conversations with some of the unsung heroes who are on the streets day in and day out. Some of them are volunteer basis, do it you know, several times a month, having conversations with people, face-to-face -face conversations, and they are seeing people change their minds time and time again. And so I want to encourage you to check out Humans of the Pro-Life Movement to, to be you know, inspired and and. Uh, just to, to see that there is change actually happening on the grassroots level, that there are people getting active. They have stories of minds changed. They have stories of babies saved. And we talk about some of those things on Humans of the Pro-Life Movement. But we don't want you to just, you know, listen to you know, Humans of the Pro-Life Movement and be inspired and continue on your way. We also want you to get active. If you're in Canada, you can get active by going to endthekilling.ca. Go to the Take Action tab and select one of the options that makes sense for you. If you click the volunteer tab and uh, fill in your details, we will connect you to a local group and some training somewhere with, within your area or close by. If you're in the United States, if you're elsewhere in the world, reach out to us. We have connections in, in many different places so that you too can get active. And then on that note, when, we are, when we're active, we want to know how to effectively and winsomely communicate the truth that abortion is a human rights violation because it directly and intentionally ends the life of a young human being. We need to know how to effectively communicate that, not in a way that builds up walls, but in a way that tears them down, in a way that builds bridges with the person we're talking to and actually sees people change their minds. And so with that, check out the regular episodes that we have on the Pro-Life Guys podcast. Cam and I, we, we have a lot of different conversations with experts, but we also have conversations with the two of us to highlight some of the, uh, the justifications for abortion that we hear on the streets and we share with you the best way that we have discovered to respond to these justifications. Sometimes there's more than one way, um, but we also we want to talk about how you know some of the bad ways that that some people respond, uh, as well intentioned as they might be, and some of the best ways that we can respond so that we connect with the person we're speaking to, and and we reach their mind, we reach their heart, and we're able to see them change their mind, and in some cases see them save the life, the life of their little boy. Or little girl. So check us out, Pro Life Guys podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, you can also listen to us on your commutes or wherever you are uh, on a podcast catcher, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your content. 
If you're listening there, check us out on YouTube because we are on YouTube as well. Thank you everyone so much for tuning in. We, we really enjoy this, uh, but we do this for you. We do this so that we can share some of the things that we learn to you, uh, you know, some of the time-tested and street-tested apologetics so that you can learn about them. And, so that, and for this episode in particular, so we can take some of the important and interesting abortion-related news from around the world, deliver it to you from a pro-life perspective. So thank you so much for tuning in. Do consider, as I mentioned earlier, becoming a patron of the Pro-Life Guys podcast, patreon.com slash Guys. Our producers, we have two of them, Maddie and Attila, great guys. They will love you for that as, as that will help them produce better content and them eat better meals. So thank you so much. We hope you tune in again next time. God bless you all. Mm -hmm.